Well, as we said, we're looking at Paul, uh, Paul's statements in a number of places in the Word of God, as long as, along with this statement here in Hebrews, pray for us. And so before we get into what Paul wrote about in his, uh, his epistles and his requests and what's here in Hebrews, we thought we'd first off take some time to see what do people ask prayer for? When people come up and they say, will you pray for me for? And they give you something. I was thinking about putting this out on Facebook and seeing what kind of things y'all came up with, but I don't always get too much response on that, so I didn't bother bother putting that out there. So you may be able to add some other things to this list. Certainly it's not an exhaustive list. But one of the things that they'll ask for prayer for is for a job or for money. It seems that the financial needs are certainly something that Folks come up to us and say, will you pray for me? I have a job interview. Uh, pray for me. I'm looking for a job. Pray for me. I need money for whatever it might be. And most of the times we just say, okay, well, we'll go ahead and, and, and pray with that. And when we do, we don't have find any examples of that in the Word of God. But most times we just go along with it and, and do so. What is the cause, though, of most money troubles in the Bible? I'm not saying what's the cause of most money troubles in today's society or anything like that, just uh, in the Bible, when we see money troubles, what was the cause? And for most of the reasons that we see, if we're, if we're given a cause in the in the Word, it's uh, rebellion, not giving God the tithe, not obeying God in some way. If these are the cause, then um, how can we pray for them? If we a lot of times we pray for other people but we're not dealing with the cause that got there. Uh, if they're having troubles on their job, well, I can't say that this happens all the time but some of the times that it happens, at least a good bit of time, it's our own fault. We're not working the way that we should. We're not going after the job. We're, we're going after other things. We're talking to people about the Lord. We're talking to, to, to people about other other things not work related. We're not getting our job done. We're not doing the, doing what's required. Because if you look at most, most people that are in the, uh, in the job circuit that are, that go around they, and they work, or that, that, uh, they give jobs, I should say. If, if you have a job to give, and you have somebody in there who is outstanding in what they're doing. They are working harder than anyone else. They're getting more done. As the employer, the one who's giving out the job for that, what would your response to them be? I mean, generally it's going to be favorable. You're going to like what they, what they're doing, and you don't care about the fact that they're a Christian or not a Christian. You're looking at more the, the end result. And I've heard a number of people over the course of years that I've heard prayer requests on this, and people are saying I'm being persecuted on my job. But really, they're not doing their job. And they blame it on the fact that they're a Christian. And we, there's not much we can do to pray about that because they're not doing what the Word of God said. The Word of God said, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And if you did so, even if they don't like you a whole lot for what you stand for, um, they love what you're bringing in. And that employer is not going to, not going to stop that. Well, another thing that we, we get prayers Request for is uh, emotional needs like I'm not happy, I'm sad, depressed. There's no joy in my life. There's no peace in my life. We have prayer requests along these lines, and yet the Word of God gives us instruction as to what to do when those things happen. And none of those things are ask other people to pray for you. But most times we just kind of go the way of least resistance. Okay, yeah, I'll pray for you on that, and just kind of go our way. Health and healing is another one, very, very common one. Oh, I'm, I got this ache or I got this pain, pray for me in this particular area. But in the Word of God, that, that kind of prayer never happened. What they did was they spoke to the disease, the, the sickness, whatever it was, they spoke to it. They did not pray to God. Wisdom and guidance is one. Now this can be good. We actually find some places in the Word of God where this is, is done and since uh, 
we got a few votes in. As I told you, we got three votes in on, on where we're going to go next. And Ezekiel got more attention than Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't get any love at all. There's nobody wanting to get into Jeremiah. So I'll, I'll dip into one of Jeremiah's chapters and let you know what you were missing in the, um, in Jeremiah. He says in Jeremiah chapter 42, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Kerea, Jezaniah, the son of Hashiah, and all the people, from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Jeremiah, the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Has anyone, anyone ever asked prayer for, from you for them? I don't know what I should do. Pray for me that I know what to do. Have you ever had that prayer request given to you? Well, that's what they're doing here. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you, and I will keep nothing back from you. Well, it would seem that if Jeremiah accepted this prayer request to go off and pray for him for that, that that's something that you can ask prayer for and receive. Wouldn't you say so? So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Ten days. Now, we're, we're catching this in the middle here. We're not really delving into the entire narrative that's in the book of Jeremiah. But this is a pressing issue for them because what happened was the person that the king of Babylon had put over them was murdered. And they were fearful that the king of Babylon was going to get upset that the person he put in charge was killed and he come down on upon them and wipe them all out. That was their fear. So they came to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, will you pray for us on this matter? And he said, I will. And so he went away and 10 days... He didn't just answer on the top of his head. He didn't just answer according to what the wisdom of God was as far as he knew. He waited for the word of the Lord to come to him and it took 10 days. This is a pressing issue for these people. I'm, it's not in the narrative at all, but I'm kind of sure that they were coming to him on the first day after they asked him, did you get an answer? No, I didn't get an answer yet. Did you get an answer on the second day? On the third day, did you get an answer? I didn't get an answer yet. I kind of feel like that was going on because this was a pressing issue. They didn't know how long they had until the king of Babylon would come down with their army. This is what they expect and, and would kill them all. So, we left off in verse 7. We're at verse 8. Then he called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me, to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobey the voice of the Lord your God, saying no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there, that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my anger... So my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall, and you shall be an oath 
an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. Now, just stop there. We're not done with the word of the Lord yet. But did they ask anything about Egypt? Not, not a word. In fact, they even said when they put the request in, whatever he says, whether we like it or whether we don't like it, we'll go ahead and do it. But this is a pretty stern word. This is, this is not a, a word that would seem to come to someone who has a soft, open heart. This would be one that you would think to become to someone who is kind of hard. And quite often, the land of Egypt is being mentioned. If you go down to Egypt, it's not going to go well. Everything that you fear coming upon you here in this land is going to follow you down there. Well, if you thought it was tough before, verse 19, The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now, have they done anything yet? They haven't done anything yet. They haven't gone anywhere. He's just now bringing out the word to them. Now, therefore, know certainly that you will die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. So this word of the Lord comes and exposes the desire of their hearts. Their desire is to go down to Egypt. They want to leave the land of Israel because they're afraid of the king of Babylon. They say, down in Egypt, we'll be safe. We'll go on down there. They've already devised a, a plan in their heart. Well, the same thing happens with people today is they come to us and they ask us, will you pray for me on this matter? But they're not being truthful because they've already devised a plan in their heart. I already have a way that I want to go. And this is the way that, that I would to go. Even in the area of healing, if you tell, if someone says, will you pray for me in the area of healing and you show them in the Word of God what the Word of God says about praying for people and healing, they won't go with it. No, no, just, just, uh, you know, ask God that He would heal me. I don't know why He hasn't healed me yet, but I, just ask God that He would heal me. And they've, they've uh, sold themselves out in this, on this way. And you could show them in the Word of God a different way, and they won't hear it, and they won't go. This is the problem that comes in with a lot of people who ask for prayer. It's that they're not open to what God has to say. They really want you to pray and get the same thing that they want to do and give them reason to go out there and do it. It would seem that for the, the reason for that is they, they know down in their spirit, I shouldn't do this. But they're asking for you for prayer. They can have justification on it. So this is a pretty stern word that Jeremiah gives and really the, the whole section here is, is a, kind of a neat story. We're not getting into the, the whole thing. There's enough to whet your appetite there. If you want to, you can go back and read the chapters before and the ones after and see what all happened. Because Jeremiah is not just all about prophecy. There's a whole lot of other things going on inside of the book. So here's the last one I gave on your, your outline. Things that people, I'm sorry, last two. Things that people ask you to come pray for, and that's troubles. They're in trouble. They have troubles that have come up. And they want them to become less or to vanish. Will you pray for me that this trouble, this problem I have, that it would go away? Well, most times people just need wisdom from God to deal with it. But that's not what they're asking for. They're asking for the problem to go away. Many people that ask you for prayer for this are the cause of their own problems. And even if you prayed that thing to go away, it's not going to matter because more are going to come because they, they create them. Some of those examples for that would be, you know, I just have... I just moved into this neighborhood and all the people don't like me. Pray that, that I you know, either have the patience to endure, pray that uh, people start liking me in the neighborhood. And all you have to do is ask a few other questions. Well, how was it in your other neighborhood? Well, they didn't like me either. That's why I moved out. Yeah, but the neighborhood you were in before that one. Well, no, they didn't like me either. And that's why I moved out. Can you see a pattern? 
that a lot of times we're creating our own problems. And we're not dealing with the problem. We just want to pray away the, the, uh, the thing that has come up. And if I'm having people problems, more than likely, I'm the problem. And I need to deal with it. But if I keep praying, oh Lord, take this person away, make this situation go away, or whatever it might be, I'm not dealing with the problem. And I just don't want to hear that I might be the problem. So that's another one that people may ask us to pray for. Here's the final one I gave you. I need stuff. Right? I need a car. Now, a car's a good thing to have. But how many have ever been asked by somebody, oh, I need a car. Help me find a car. And, um, and so we, we jumped on in and we've, we prayed about that. Um, well, I need this for the house. I need this to be repaired. I need this to be fixed. Stuff. We got a lot of stuff. And so we just casually, you know, we make mention of it. Will you pray with me? Because I need this. And we name whatever the stuff is. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, being worried, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we pray with our focus on things of this world, we are wasting our time as we're not told to do so. So if I'm not supposed to do so, what am I doing getting involved in other people into it? We need to pray with a different focus. One that puts the treasure in heaven in mind. Now, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on each of those those areas. We could certainly have spent a lot more time on each of those areas. But let's take a look more at the positive side. What are we supposed to be praying for other people about? In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18, it says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So here, the writer of Hebrews exhorts them, asks them to pray for us. And we see this request in the Word of God, not just in the book of Jeremiah, but we see it in other places. We're going to look at some of those. So having other people pray for us is not a bad thing. We just got to make sure we're doing for the right stuff. Now, Paul wrote most of the letters to the churches and he was the most common one to ask for prayer. So most of the things we're going to be seeing are from Paul's writings. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, not much to detail in this. All he says is, Brethren, pray for us. That's it. So if you ever go out to somebody and say, Pray for us, I guess you're kind of on the lines here of Paul. Paul, Paul said, Pray for us. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he gives more detail. Verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. 
and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. So if we look at this, he's praying for how the word of God would go, and that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, not all are believers. Non-believers, even if they call themselves Christians, are some of your biggest adversaries. They come against you. And he says they're, they're coming against him. And he says, pray for us. Now what's interesting here is if a person decides to persecute a believer such as Paul, is that their decision? Isn't it a decision that they made on their own free will? If God won't change the will of a person in their decision, what is there to pray for? Well, sometimes we can get messed up in it because we can read this and we just kind of convert it to our own life and I begin to you know, pray for me because so-and-so is against me. And we just kind of, from there, go on to our own interpretation. Will you pray that this person won't do this anymore? But see, that's not scriptural because God won't change their will. But Paul did ask for this prayer. He did ask for this prayer for these, and this is not the only, only time, but he did ask, pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. But notice he did not pray for the unreasonable and wicked men to change. He prayed that they would be delivered. So if you go to the Old Testament, the children of Israel, wanted the will of the Egyptians to be changed and they wouldn't chase them anymore. But that's not what that was was prayed. The prayer was, when, when Moses is talking to, to God, God says, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm not going to change their will. I'm going to let them follow exactly what they want to do and I'm coming against them. And I'll wipe them out. You see, God will come and expose those that are coming against you with his light thereby eliminate what they can do he can also do things like he did in the the book of Exodus where he sent plagues to the Egyptians to turn their their uh, hearts and for some of them that did didn't work for Pharaoh he stayed hard and God may give them every opportunity to change their mind about coming against you but he says pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men we cannot pray that the unreasonable and wicked men become reasonable and unwicked. They're gonna, it's their own free will to decide that. I can, I can certainly pray for them to be get saved. And that would have a positive effect on, on their will and what they're decided to do. But that's a different type of prayer. But you can certainly make that there. Father God, I pray that you send people on their path that would minister to them, that would show them the way of the gospel, that they would go that way instead of the way of the evil one. But in the meantime, they're your adversary. And the word of God says that he who blesses you, I will, I will bless. And he who curses you, I will curse. So we can just walk along that. Father God, they are coming against the things of God. Bring that curse down upon them and expose their work and expose the things that they're trying to do against the gospel. And if we look at the life of Paul, we'll see that those kind of things happened. Probably more so than we have recorded. But he says that you may be delivered, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Not just the, the, the men that are doing his bidding, but also the evil one. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, Now I beg you, brethren, therefore, or I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me on my behalf, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. There's that deliverance part again. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now, both of those things are areas where the will of the person is involved. Not only that he would be delivered from those who believe, but also that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. 
Father God, I pray that the hearts of the people that you have sent me to are ready to receive the gospel, the message that I'm bringing, the love of God that I'm bringing. We can pray that. Now, God won't change their, their will. They still have to decide. But he's going to do everything that he can to prepare their hearts to receive. They still can say no if they want to. That I make, um, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So he's praying that uh, I, I want to come to you. I want to come to where you are. So pray to God that I'm able to do that. Now this is the, this is Romans. He was writing this letter, and this is the end of the letter. He was writing this letter saying, I'd like to come visit you. You guys have asked me to come, and I would love to, to come and visit you. Uh, but there's other places I've had to go first, and I want to make sure the gospel has gone to all the places of the world. And once that's done, then I can go to some places where the gospel already is. That's basically what he was, he was telling them. But he wanted to prepare to be able to go to them. And of course, when he went before Caesar, guess where he was? He's in Rome. And he had at least two years of ministry there in Rome while he was there with, with, uh, with Caesar. And he said, that I may come to you. Well, God wanted him to go before kings and, and, and so forth, and certainly he was. But just because God wants it to be done doesn't mean that it was, that it would be. So he said, pray that this, this opportunity would be there. And that opportunity did come up. And he wanted to be refreshed together with them. That was the, the purpose there. So this is something that he was praying for. There's still some wills of people that are involved there, but God can not turn the will of the person, but make it seem to their advantage to do what he wants. He can open up their eyes to see those things. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. And for me, pray for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I have been, I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Well, he's praying mostly here for boldness of speech because when you keep getting beat up for the word, it can get you timid. So he says, I don't want to give in to that. Pray for me that I stay bold. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So here he's praying for an open door, for a door that would be opened. Now, a lot of people are led by open and closed doors, and they love this term that he used. We're not supposed to be led by open and closed doors, but he's praying for a door to open that he can take the gospel into this these particular areas. So that's apparently something that we can pray for. Father God, I, I see that I need to go into this area and do things in this way. Uh, I pray for an open door, an opportunity to be able to do that. How many have ever read uh, Brother Rick Renner's book, um, Point of No Return? How many people have not read that book yet? If you want some good reading material, it's a good book to read. It's a a book that basically uh, gives an account of all the things that happened from the time that he was called to take the gospel message to the Soviet bloc countries once the curtain fell and all the things that happened in there. Oh, I'll tell you what, this is some modern-day apostleship right there. And uh, the things that had gone on, and he talks about some of his dealings with the Russian mafia because they're very much in, involved. And uh, the Russian mafia is far more terrible than the Italian mafia is. He, he put it to us this way. He said the, the, the Russian mafia is like the Italian mafia without the respect for the church. They have no respect for the church or for people of God. Whereas the Italian mafia had a respect for the Catholic church and, and the priests and so forth. And they would always seem to treat them with uh, a certain amount of respect and, and uh, didn't come after them with violence. That's not, the, that's not the Russian mafia. And some of the dealings that had gone on, he got involved in some areas, didn't even know he was getting involved with them. 
then they're just so inter- we're, we're so uh, intertwined in everything that was going on over there. And just a incredible story of things that that God did and that made a an opportunity. And uh, if you haven't read that book, it's a phenomenal read. It's been a while since I read it. But there you'll see what we're looking at for open doors. Father God, I need an opening. I need a, a, a place to, to buy land because it, the Soviet Union was not too interested in having churches when Brother Rick first went over there. And so they did a lot of things to make it uh, not so good for him. But things have changed. And I, I told you the story before when they, had, when they dedicated their Moscow building, which is right down the road from the Kremlin, that uh, Putin sent a representatives from the government over to the ceremony they had for, for dedicating that just to show respect for, uh, for what they were doing in the country. And it's quite a change from what it was before that. But these are the kind of open doors that, that you look at. If you read that book, you'll see that some of the things that were open doors sure didn't seem like they were open doors at the time. That you, it was a step of faith to, to go out there and to do that. But this is what Paul is praying for. Pray that we have opportunities that we can get in and then begin to, to work our faith. Because they, uh, when he comes into a city, he has no building. He has no, uh, no support. He's going in brand new and needs to, to start some things. And we know from the book of Acts when we did our series on, on that, you know, there's some places the guy said, don't go in there. And so he didn't. He, he didn't follow the direction, but he did go into where God would lead him. And even though the God led him there, there were still some difficult times that they had to get that going on. So in summary, these are the things that we see that were requested. There was deliverance from wicked unbelievers. There was utterance, correct words. The words would flow. There was boldness in speech. And there was open doors or opportunities to preach the gospel, take the message. Now, when he says here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. I took me, I was listening to this, looking at this, breaking down the Greek on it for, uh, for quite a while to try and get a picture. What is he asking prayer for? I mean, if you read that over, can you, does it jump right out to you what he's asking prayer for? Pray for us. For we are confident. Well, then, if we read it that way, he's not praying for confidence, is he? He's already got confidence, he says. That we have a good conscience. Is he praying that we would have a good conscience? No, why would you pray that you have a good conscience? If you do what's right, then you have a good conscience. In all things, desiring to live honorably. What was he praying? That he would live honorably? Father God, I pray that I do everything that your word tells me to. Is that right? <laughs> what is he praying, asking prayer for in this particular passage? Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. So I was breaking down all the particular words in here. And I'm not going to um, spend too much time on that because we'll never finish this, this here today. But mostly focusing on the word confident, conscience, and, and, um, desiring to live honorably. Then in breaking this down and looking at this and looking at a number of different ways that it was translated and a number of different things were going on, this is the best that I can come up with that is what he's, that what he's asking for. He says, look, we have confidence that we live the way that we should. But pray that in the areas that we go, that the way that they, we live, is good to them as well so that we don't disqualify our testimony of the gospel. Because when they go into a new place, they may have different customs. They may have different ways of doing things and you could, you could offend them in, in that area. I don't know if this is necessarily true. I've never been there, but I heard people who used to say, may not be the case anymore, that in the same way drinking alcohol is offensive to Christians over in this country, Drinking coffee was offensive to people over in Europe. I don't know if that's still the case now. I thought they had coffee shops and stuff like that, but 
But anyway, you can just see that just little little things like that they can they can be offensive. Some words that you would use in one country, if you use those same words in another country, that's considered to be offensive. So the best I can say is pray for us that in the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we live, though we're confident in it, that it doesn't come across in a way that disqualifies us to other people. We don't want to do that. If we knew that it would do so, we would, we would not do it. So that's, that's the best I was able to come up with out of that. Cause, cause really I can't, it took me a while to figure out what in the world is he asking them to pray for? But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Well, if the message that, that he has, whatever it is he's going, whatever it is that this person is doing, if he gets the message across sooner, then he'd be able to return, is what he's saying. And so that's, uh, that's for your benefit. Now in uh, verse 20, now I, I put this, this note there on your outline. I, I did write that in there. All these things are for the kingdom's benefit, not Paul's. When we have our prayer requests and we're involving other Christians, we need to make sure that those prayer requests have a kingdom benefit, not just a personal one. If we're looking at what's been done in the Word of God, those things that were requested for prayer were for a kingdom benefit. There may have been a benefit for the individual, but the benefit of the individual also benefited the church. But too often our prayers, things that we ask for prayer for, are just to benefit ourselves. They have no benefit into the kingdom of God. And that's not something that you can't pray about, but if it just benefits you, then you pray. You pray about it. You take it to God. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But if it's something that's going to benefit the body, then we can pray overall. We can get other people to, to pray for us that. Now, there's a, those prayers I really wanted to... I've, I was given a lot of thought to spending some time in the prayers of Ephesians and the prayers of Colossians. Because those are prayers that Paul prayed for the church. And those are good things to pray for yourself. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1. Go back there and read over them. Pray them for yourself. And you'll see that most of those things that are being prayed there are going to make you a better believer. And by making you a better believer, you make the church stronger. The church is as strong as the members that are in it. So the stronger we are as members, the stronger that church becomes. But in verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So this is almost, sounds like a prayer right here, that He's praying for them. Now may the God of peace make you complete. Make you complete. Some translations put perfect in there. It's not perfect as in without spot or wrinkle or without the defect or anything like that. It's that you have everything that you need to do what you're supposed to do. Make you complete in every good work. So for all the, the work that you do that is good, that is beneficial, that is helpful for the kingdom of God, he's praying may you be complete in it. If you need it to do what God has called you to do, then God supply it for you. That's what he's praying. Make you complete in every good work to do His will. Now, He's not praying that you do His will. you got to make that decision on your own. He's praying that you are complete for the work to do His will. That whatever it is that you need, that you've got it. But still, the enemy will sell us on the fact that I don't have it. I'm missing this particular thing. Oh God, if you'll just supply this, I can do what you've called me to do. And that's not a good way to live. I've got to have confidence that what God has called me to do, God has also equipped me to do. But the enemy wants to sell you in the fact, well, you're not really very good at this. No one really likes it when you do that. And if God's called me to do it, God's equipped me to do it. 
So he says, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Working in you. That's the Lord. The Lord's working in you what is well-pleased. The things that he likes. He wants to see these things go on. So he's in there. He's working and working them together for you. But the enemy has sold us on the fact that he's not doing it. Oh, Father God, I wish you would just... Oh, Father God, I wish that you would just complete me in this area. Oh, I just feel so inadequate in this thing. Uh, and we just pray against what this thing is saying is already going on. See, God's already working for us. He's already working in us. He's called us to do a good work and He's equipped us to do it. Don't pray in a doubtful manner. If I come up to somebody in the body of Christ and I say, God has called me to do this, but every time I do it, I feel so inadequate. Pray that I don't feel that inadequate. You ought to just slap them up across the face and rebuke them right there. Don't agree with them and go off there and say, oh, I'll pray for you. That's not going to help them out at all. You need to tell them, say, look, you are equipped. God is working in you what you need to accomplish what you're doing. Be thankful. Give Him glory. Stop complaining. Make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Father God, I thank you. This is how my prayers ought to go. Father God, I thank you that you are working in me what is well-pleasing for you, that what you have called me to do, you have also equipped me to do, and you are developing me so that every day I get better and better and better at what you have called me to do. Instead of going out there and complaining, oh, Father God, I just feel so lousy at this. I just don't feel like I'm any, I'm any good at this at all. I don't think anybody's getting any benefit from what I'm doing. But I know you called me to this. If you really want me to continue, I pray that you help me to feel like I'm accomplishing something. Or show me some people. Just, there's ridiculous prayers. We should be praying that way. That's prayers that are based on emotion. Prayers that are based on make me, make me feel good. Prayers that are based on sight. That's not how we're supposed to pray. Well, I just don't feel like God is doing that complete work in me. It don't matter how you feel. It matters what the Word of God said. Well, I just don't see that it's actually happening. I don't see any evidence of it. Well, you're not supposed to see the evidence. You're supposed to believe that it's going on. Act accordingly. If Peter on the boat said, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come on. And he said, well, let me see first that I have the ability to walk on the water. That wouldn't have gone so well. Well, let me feel that I have the ability to walk in the water. What gave Peter the ability to walk on the water? <laughs> the thing is, even more simpler than what you're going for. What gave him the ability was that Jesus said, come. Now, he had to act on it. But what gave him the ability was that Jesus said, come. You see, I can't have faith in something that's not there. Jesus said, come. Peter had faith in it, and that's why he, he walked. Peter had doubts about it, and that's why he sank. If God told me that I'm supposed to do something, then that's what empowers me to do it. If God has called me to a thing, then he's empowered me to do it. May the God of peace make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's a good prayer. I can pray. Make sure your prayers are in line with that. They don't have to be exactly that prayer, but make sure that they're in line with that. Father God, I thank you that you've called me to this. I thank you that you have equipped me for it. I thank you that you have supplied everything that I need, that you are developing me every single day. I am getting better at doing that. What you want me to do. Verse um, Missing one of the words here. Let me go back here and read it from 20 again. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. And one other verse I want you to... Well, we'll, we'll keep on going. I know there's, there's one other word I wanted to, to get into. But in verse 22, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words, knowing that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see, see you if he comes shortly. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. He says he wrote this in a few words. So his 13 chapters that he's got here, or a, or a few words. I guess he could have been longer. And I know he could have been. Because he didn't get into a whole lot of detail on a couple of those topics that he, he took on. Especially, we, remember we spent some time on Melchizedek. And he said, I wish I could teach you more on that. And he left all that out. But I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. There's not a whole lot of bearing with exhortation anymore. Because when we have a, a word of exhortation to, to Christians, they just rather quit and well, I'll just go find somebody else who has nice words to say about me. We can't bear the exhortation. But he says, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of revelation. This word bear is used three times in the gospel. It's used other places in the epistles as well. But three times where you see it in the gospel. Three different gospel writers use this particular word only one time in their gospel. The one time each of these used it is in the exact same story. The exact same account. I'm reading from you Matthew chapter 17 verse 17. Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration runs into the man with the son whom the the, uh, disciples could not cast the demon out. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? We be with you. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I endure you? How long shall I keep... See, he's he's seen that there's a... I see the end result. And I want to get to that end result. But to get to that end result, I have to bear with these things that we're going through here now. He expected them to be able to take care of this. And they did not take care of it. And so he said, bring them to me. And so they brought them here. You know the rest of the story. He, uh, he cast it out. But he said, I appeal to you, brethren, verse 22 of Hebrews 13, bear with the word of exhortation. In other words, this word of exhortation is there to make you better. But you have to bear with it. You have to endure it. You can't just run away and hide for, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to take that word. Nope. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on going. See, even in the areas of prayer, and, this, and of course Hebrews covered a lot more areas than that, but even in the areas of prayer, you have a lot of sacred cows there. People have a, a lot of understanding, they think, on how prayers ought to go. What I should pray, who I should pray to, how I should pray, how often I should pray. And we don't bear with any exhortation to, um, to change that. But he says, if you do, there's a good thing on the other end. But you've got to bear with it. Verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see if he comes shortly. So Timothy apparently was imprisoned or somehow um, restrained and was, was released. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And one of these, one of these days we'll take on all the, um, uh, benedictions, I guess we can call them the way that they end a lot of these letters and what they actually mean. But we're not going to get into that here tonight. What our focus here was, was the prayers. When people come and they ask you to pray, will you be bold enough to get the right details? To get the right, or just just go along, yeah, 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 okay, I'll I'll pray with you on that. And um, we've got to make sure. Because just because I say, I'll pray with you, and just because I make prayers for that person doesn't mean that we've done it right. Or we've done it any effectively. People come to you and say, pray for me because I'm not feeling well. Oh, Father God, I pray right now that you heal that person. Well, that's a ridiculous prayer. That's not going to amount to anything. 
doesn't matter how much you love that person, care for that person, make that prayer out of love for that person, it's not going to help. It make you feel better, but it's not going to help. I've heard uh, you know some people get concerned because people are going to pray for them unscripturally, and that might hurt them. That may uh, may have a negative effect. You can have twenty people praying unscripturally for your case; it won't hurt you at all. All you need is one or two people praying the right way, and you'll be fine. Or just pray the right way yourself. You know, if I got if I got twenty people out there praying, "Oh Lord, please heal so and so." That's not going to do any good, but they're not going to, I'm not going to let it hurt me either. See, if I'm the one who needs to be healed, I'm the one who needs to pray in faith. And other people's prayer of unbelief isn't going to affect that. Sometimes Jesus, well, let's use that as an example. You remember when uh, Jairus had um, asked Jesus to come over and, and to pray for his daughter, and on the way, the daughter died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. And so when Jesus gets there, all the mourners are there and they're just wailing and they're on unbelief. Well, he doesn't try and stop them from praying or saying things of unbelief. He doesn't do it. But he puts them out of the room. Get out of the room. You can all do what you want. Carry on all you want to out there. Don't feel like you've got to stop people. Then, you know, you have relatives and they're religious and they're praying in a religious way. And you don't have to go out to them and say, look, I don't want you praying for me at all. Just get them, get them away from you. Just don't hear them. They can go out there and they can pray their religious things all they want to. It isn't going to affect you. Those doubters that were outside the room, they didn't affect Jesus and what he did. And you'll find other places like that in the Word of God as well. When the man with the withered hand was in the synagogue, how many unbelievers did we have in the room? They're all just waiting for Jesus to do something. Heal on the Sabbath because they wanted to jump on that. And not a single one of them had an effect upon that situation. People who don't believe cannot affect you in the things that you are believing unless you let their unbelief come and affect you, come and become part of you. Don't let it. People can go on and carry on and pray all manners of, of ways. Doesn't does not affect you at all. Don't let the enemy think that either. Because I've heard people come and have those kind of concerns. Well, what if so and so is praying this way? Is that going to negate my prayers of faith? Nothing negates a prayer of faith. Nothing negates a prayer of faith. Unless you negate it yourself. If I pray the prayer of faith, I can negate it by having negative words afterwards. Having contrary uh, words after I make the prayers. Certainly that can negate it. But what other people say? They can't negate it. When Jesus, when Jairus was with Jesus and the the report came, Jesus turned to who? He turned to Jairus. He's the only one that mattered. If everybody else in the room or in the on the way there, if they mattered, he would have turned to them too. He didn't turn to them. He only turned to Jarius. Don't be afraid. His command was to Jarius, because that's all that mattered. But in the same way, if you've got somebody who's in the hospital and they've been not believing that Jesus is the healer all their life, there's no way you're going to get to pray and turn that situation around. Now you get a, a, a person under the anointing who gets in the room and they allow hands to be laid on them. You can certainly turn that situation around. But you praying off on your, on your own to have healing come in on a situation that that person's not believing for, has already said some words against it. You're not going to be able to change that. You may want to. You may desire to. But we don't have a way to change that. But you get the, the power of God to go in that room. You can change it. And we've seen some of those in the, in the case with the Word of God. So, we'll end it here with this. If you are going to make a prayer, if somebody comes up to you and says, will you pray for me on this? You've heard Brother Hagin talk about it. You've heard other people talk about it. Ask them this question. What scripture are you standing on? I like to ask that of people. But sometimes you get a canned answer. 
And they'll just start to throw out scriptures. They're just rattling them off. They don't mean anything to them. And I can tell that's, that's not something, that's not something down in their, in their spirit. It's all in their head. They're just rattling it off. They've got to get it. That connection has to be made. And so sometimes you have to just be bold enough to say, you know, like Paul was praying or the, yeah, Paul was asking, pray for me that I be bold. <laughs> sometimes you need, need that boldness to step up and go with those people and say, look, you're telling me what's in your head. I need to know what's in your heart. What's in your heart is different than what's in your head. Get what's in your head down in your heart. If you don't tell them that, but you're picking that up in the spirit, you're not helping them by going on and saying, I'll pray with you on it. Listen to your spirit. If your spirit is telling you what's in their head, what's what's coming out of their mouth, it's in their head, it's not in their heart. And it's not too hard to to pinpoint people, all you got to do is get them talking a little bit more. You'll find out what's in the heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your head can take the, that speech for a little while, but the heart rules it all the time. And eventually something will come out and you'll be able to hear it. So just get them talking. Just get them talking. And the Spirit of God on the inside of you will quicken it. And say, See, hear that? That's what's coming from their heart. That's what's coming from their heart. They may be saying stuff like, Oh, I believe that I'm healed. I believe that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that in His body, I'm made whole. They may quote all these different things, but if you talk to them a little bit about it, you're going to find out that's not what they really believe. They may, they may talk about their, their aching or their, their hurt or my cancer. Or whatever my, this tumor I have, and so forth. You see, the faith people talk differently, and it's not just that the language is different; it's the belief is different, and that's where we have to to pick up on it. We have to get that different belief, because if my belief is different, if I believe in my heart that what God said is true, what comes out of my mouth is different. It's just changed. And it's not always something you can define. Because some people can, can sound like they have a pretty good talk about what they're believing. But just keep, just keep them chatting. I love listening to some of Brother Hagin's stories when he talks about his prayer lines and when he's talking with people. Because you just hear the conversation. He'll tell you the conversation. Oh, there it is. Yep, that's where it came out. It's good to pray for people. And don't be, um, don't be hindered in that area. But if you're going to, if people are going to be pulling you in for prayer, it ought to be more on kingdom needs, not individual needs. The Word of God told us in James, we, we covered that last time. If anyone lacks wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask. You're supposed to ask. If you've got emotional issues, sing. There's something that you're supposed to do. If I've got something going wrong, I need to step out in, in prayer. That's the most important thing that we, that we have to do. Having personal needs is not bad, but don't focus on them. Instead, focus on the kingdom. Remember one of the bad traits of, the, of uh, one of the soils, the three bad soils, the traits of one of them was the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. That'll, that'll smother the word. And the enemy likes to do this. He's going to get you caught up with the cares of this life. Job, finances. Things that are, are just cares of this life. So that your whole prayer life is taken up with these cares of this life. But in that passage we read to you, seek first the kingdom. All these other things will be added to you. You don't have to be focused on that. Seek first the kingdom. Well, Father, I thank you that we can pray for each other. That there are things in your word that we can pray to hold each other up for the benefit of the kingdom. To make each, make each other stronger and more prepared for what we're called to do.
I thank you for it. I thank you for the help that you give us. That you turn us into the people that you've called us to be. Day by day changing us. That we listen to the exhortations that are given and we bear with them. We don't pull back just because they're a little stern and a little strong. Thank you for the help that you give us in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.